0: Probably ten years ago or so, I really had a struggle in my faith where I really didn't know if I thought Jesus still was real and Jesus worked and when you're a pastor and you're not sure Jesus works, that's a conflict of interest right And, and what happened was I got so involved in just doing and being around church stuff, and maybe it was an indictment on the church I was a part of I don 't know but I got to the place of just seeing the same Christians doing the same stuff, having the same conversations. And I started thinking, I don't know if God really works anymore. I don't know if Jesus is real. And I can tell you something is over the past five or six years, my faith right now is on an all time high. Was realizing that we step out and start joining Jesus in the stuff that Jesus is doing, like helping people who don't know if he exists or doubt him or have struggle in their life. And we get outside the four walls of the church, right? And we actually begin taking Jesus to the people that really need him. What's happened in my life is it's completely revolutionized my faith to really believe that if God can open the doors that he has for what's going on with pub theology and radio theology, and as we're seeing people's life change, um, there are so many people that need your faith and your light in their life. And when you join Jesus in what he's doing, what you begin to realize is this, is that Jesus is still super, super real. And he still changes people's lives in very real ways. And that kind of frames our conversation this morning. This idea, of this Butterfly Chronicles is our series, right? And the idea of this metamorphosis, this transformation that happens in the life of a butterfly. And we're going to look a little bit of that process, that transformation, that metamorphosis in somebody's life that's a real part of our community here at Mercy Road, and I guarantee you, you're going to be moved and touched by the story you're going to hear. But the thing that I was thinking about this week, as we, as we look at Jesus, and we look at the, you know, the, the, whole, the whole idea of the Bible, you look back to the Old Testament, right? And I think about, when we think about this idea of the Butterfly Chronicles and the life change that can happen is, what kind of people is God okay associating with, Right? It's a good question because if, if, if you want to associate with God, you're probably like, is He does he like to hang out with people like me, right? And it's interesting because if you look back in the Old Testament, if, if God had like a business card in the Old Testament, right, that he handed out, and you're like, he had never met you before, what's your name, and hand you a business card, it would say Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And you'd be like, oh, cool, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you've been around church at all, you've read the Old Testament, you maybe heard those names, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you think, oh yeah, those are the Old Testament dudes, they were awesome except they weren't totally awesome, okay? Specifically Jacob, I've been looking at his life this week, and, and, and it's interesting to think about the life of Jacob. Jacob's born, and he has a twin brother named Esau, and as Esau's born first, Jacob comes out second, but he's grasping the heel of his brother. And his name means he who grasps the heel, or literally, he who deceives, is what Jacob's name means. And from the beginning, basically, he's been a you know, pain in the heel, I guess, to his older brother. And throughout his life, very early on, he earns his title of being a deceiver. He tricks his older brother Esau and he he tricks him basically and kind of manipulates the situation to get his birthright from him. And then a few years later in their life, what happens is uh, uh, Jacob gets together with his mom and they deceive his dad to actually steal his blessing from his brother, right? His brother Esau was kind of hairy, had hairy arms and everything. And he was kind of the hunter and Jacob wasn't. So he and his mom, they took like sheepskin and put it on his neck and on his hands. And because his dad was blind and couldn't tell who it was. And so they completely deceive his brother, steal his brother's blessing, right? And this happens multiple times in his life, and as you look at that, you go, why would God associate with Jacob? Like, Why would you say, this is not his business card, Like, I'm the God of people like Jacob? Because I know sometimes when I think about God, I think I don't know if God's the, the, the God of people that deceive people and have struggles and problems. I think sometimes, I think that, I think, if, if I were a PR firm for God, right, in the Old Testament, if there was such a thing, right, I'd be like, listen, God, we've been taking a look at stories And a lot of our analysis has said that you should probably replace Jacob with Enoch, all right? Enoch absolutely killed it, all right? Does anybody know Enoch's story? You may not, it's really brief, okay? You get it in Genesis chapter five. He only gets like two verses of the Bible, and it says this. When Enoch was 65 years old, he had Methuselah. Enoch walked steadily with God, and after he had Methuselah, he lived for another 300 years, having more sons and daughters. Now watch this. Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked steadily with God, and then one day, he simply was gone, God took him. How about that, right? If you're looking for somebody to say, hey, you know, this is the kind of people that hang out with me, I'm Yahweh, I'm God, I created the universe, this is my boy Enoch, he did so awesome, he walked so steadily with me, I was just like, why don't you just come to heaven and hang out more, right, and poof, he was gone, okay? That's a good story, isn't it, right? Like I'm the God of guys like Enoch that just absolutely nail it. They're just godly people steadily for 365 years and then poof, they just are no more. But I tell you what, we're not gonna live 365 years. I struggled to get through 365 days walking steadily with God. How about you guys, right? But God doesn't choose Enoch he chooses Jacob. And the only thing that makes sense to put Jacob on the business card of God is that God loves wrestling. Now, I have a confession to me. I'm very, very, very uncomfortable with the level of wrestling that is happening in the early wine house right now, okay? I'm even more uncomfortable with the level of wrestling toys and perfunilia that we have bought our sons, therefore perpetuating the problem with the love affair of wrestling, I'm also very, very disturbed that this morning as I was using this illustration, I realized that I think for the last three or four sermons here at Mercy Road, somehow wrestling has made it into my sermon. This is an issue, my friends. It's an issue. Because at my house, at the early ones right now, we love wrestling. We've got microphones uh, where the boys are able to announce their matches. It's got a little echo, if you can hear the echo, right? So it's like the ultimate warrior. It's awesome. And that. Oh, wait a second. You can't hear me. Anyway, this happens, and you hear the boys, my boys, the three of them, they they use that. And then we also have, you know, we've got action figures in our house, right? So we've got the new school. We got John Cena, right? And he's ready to go. So there's John Cena. I don't know if you can see him, but you can't see me. You know what I mean? John Cena, who's with me? That's disgusting. I need help. Okay. We also have old school originals like you know, Hulk Hogan, right? And I guess got a question for you, is what you're gonna do, brother, when Hulkamania runs wild over you, right? So I just, it's a question I want you to deal with this morning. That was funnier than I thought you. Anyway, we've got action figures, and then the, the, to take the cake at the early one house, we got belts, all right? We got belts. And at this, my son Ty just turned 10 this past week, and now we have not just the intercontinentals, but now we have actually have the, the tag team belts as well. And if you if you think that there aren't real matches that happen in the early wine house where people exchange the belts, and when they don't win the fake wrestling match with their brothers in our office, if you think that tears aren't shed, you're in for a big surprise, my friend. Okay. Because the boys are dedicated to wrestling and with my love affair with NASCAR and their rubber love affair with wrestling, there's probably no hope for their high school years. Let's just be honest, okay? It's, it's gonna be dangerous. But the good thing about this is that as I read the Bible, right, I think God actually is into wrestling. Because the crazy thing about Jacob's story is if we pick it up and just go a little bit further, right? What happens with Jacob is that he goes out and he's continuing with his life and there's going to be this meeting where his brother Esau is going to meet up with him. And he's for sure that his brother's going to show up and want to kill him. So he's freaked out and so he's, he's camping alone waiting for his brother to show up. And, and we pick the story up and it goes like this, right? It says, but Jacob stayed behind by himself and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he couldn't get the best of Jacob as they wrestled, he deliberately threw Jacob's hip out of joint. The man said, let me go, it's, it's daybreak. And Jacob said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Then the man said, what's your name? And he answered, Jacob. Now the man said, but no longer. Your name is no longer Jacob, for now it is Israel. God wrestler, you've wrestled with God and you've come through. And Jacob asked, what's your name? And the man said, why do you want to know my name? And then right then and there, he blessed him. Jacob named the place Peniel, God's face, because he said, I saw God face to face and lived to tell the story. And the sun came up and he left Peniel, limping because of his hip. Did you catch that? Jacob wrestles with God. And then God says to him, he says, what's your name? And he has to say, my name is Jacob. My name is the deceiver. And the answer says, no, not anymore. From here on out, your name is Israel. The God wrestler. Because you struggled and wrestled with God. What I love this morning and every day of my life is that we serve a God and are invited into relationship with a God who is not the God of Enoch, right? For all the people that are just absolutely killing it and walking steadily with God. But not only did he change Jacob's names here, but then God goes on and chooses the name Israel to represent his nation forever, the nation of Israel, the nation of people who struggle and wrestle with God. And I know for me, my relationship with God has looked a lot more like wrestling with him than it has walking steadily often. And see, if we're not clear on that, what can happen is this. We can begin to think that God is more uh, 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 proud of or, or more welcoming, the, the Enix than he is us Jacobs, than he is us Israels, than he is us wrestlers. And so what we do, and I know that we think that because we actually betray our, our, our thoughts, right, by the way that we present ourselves in, in church circles, right? That's why we dress up to come to church and smile, right? Because we want people to know, I'm not struggling. Life is good, right? Like we come in and, you know, we, we can't stand our husband. We want to punch him right in the nose, right? Or put him in a headlock or something. I don't know. But we hold hands and we come to church and we praise him, praise him. It's good. Love him, right? <laughs> right? You show up and you get your kids and you make them like shower and kind of get dressed nice and you get them to church, right? And you were driving here thinking to yourself, how could I get them adopted this week, right? But you came in, hey, buddy, you go over there and learn about Jesus. We're going to go in and praise hallelujah. All right. Everything's okay in our house. No problems here, right? And at least we've stopped dressing up for church, right? That's a good start, right? Because that was, that was ridiculous because it was just like, Uh, you know, we had to put a tie on and a suit to come to church, right? So we had to look good on the outside. So it's like, you know, have you seen my nice tie? Yes. It's to distract you of the darkness of my soul. All right. Good morning. Welcome to church. All right. If we understood that it was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right, the deceivers and the strugglers and the wrestlers, we would be fine to come up and say to this, hey, guess what? I'm barely holding on right now in a full-blown wrestling match with God. Not sure that I believe. Marriage is hanging on by a thread. I hate my job. I'm trying to figure out if I can still maintain this faith. It's a wrestling match with God. And we would not feel shame for that because we know that we serve the God of Abraham and Isaac and of the Jacobs. And this morning, we're going to share a Jacob story. And and here's the deal. Sometimes in churches and sometimes in our life, we're only comfortable sharing stories once they're completely finished, right? Like God did something in my life 16 years ago and praise God, it's still working now. And we shy away from sharing stories that don't necessarily say the end yet. But what you're going to experience today and what I hope that we can invite each other into is to own the fact that we are all more like Jacob than we are Enoch. And if we can invite people into the struggle and the wrestling match we're in with God, what's going to happen is people are going to start meeting God face to face and realizing that God is so real that he'll only meet us where we really are. I want you guys to welcome my friend Meryl Masterson to the stage today. When Josh and I were talking about putting this series together, Meryl had come to Josh and, and shared a little bit of her story. And, uh, and just so you know, just to prep you, uh, this is a very real story. It's very authentic. It's very raw. And it's uh, absolutely permeated With the presence of God and the way that He really, really meets us when things get real, so Meryl, you have uh, just—you're in the midst of the realest light-like year of your life, am I right? Yes. So take us back, if you will, uh, to to some of these key moments over the past uh, year when life got real.
1: Yeah, um, Psalms thirty-four, four through five says, "I sought the Lord and He answered me; He delivered me from all of my fears." Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Um, On May 6th this year, so a couple months ago, I almost died from anorexia. I've had an eating disorder for 17 years, and I'm 30 years old, and my body said it was enough. And um, I literally almost died Um, that morning. It was 6.15 in the morning, and my heart was just palpating. I could barely catch my breath. I couldn't even hardly open my eyes. I was... 20 pounds less than I am now. And I just was nothing but a skeleton and a walking like mess. And um, I was visiting my husband in Florida Um, my daughter came with me. She's five. I have three little kids, but um, that's a picture of me and my daughter who's five. And I remember now I'm looking at that picture and I thought I looked fat and I didn't post that because I thought I looked fat. So what I also struggled with was body dysmorphia. So I didn't know what I looked like to other people. It's a real disease and it's very hard to live your life for the Lord when half of you is distracted with stupid lies from the enemy that say, you're not skinny, you're not good enough unless you're the prettiest, richest, thinnest wife. And um, that was lies straight from Satan. And he was just trying to distract me. And it took him, it took me almost losing my life to realize my dependence on God and um, what really matters in my life. I had to literally almost lose my life to finally realize I needed the Lord. Um, So that morning it was 6.15 In the morning, and my husband had already gone to the field. He plays baseball, and um, he's he was injured this last year. He's a pitcher, and so he was in the minor leagues this year, which now is a blessing because he was with me through all of this. But he was in Florida at the time, um, rehabbing with the Pirates, and my daughter and I flew out to see him. I have two-year-old twins too, but they had to stay home. So me and my five-year-old went, and um, that for two weeks before that trip, I was really nervous with the fact that I was going to be in a swimsuit and there was other wives there and for two weeks I ate nothing but sugar-free jello and asparagus and when I say that right now I almost want to just cry because it was miserable and I just I did that day in and day out because I was by myself with three kids and I could do it and that was one thing I could control and um, I did that for two weeks before I got there and I showed up and he didn't, my husband didn't really say anything. I kind of knew how bad it had gotten because nothing fit when I went to pack. And I was like, ooh, maybe I did lose that five plus ten more. But um, so I got there and um, we had two good days. And then the morning that I woke up and almost died um, was the best day of my life. Now looking back, um, I crawled on my knees to my daughter's room. She's five and she doesn't know how to use a phone and I didn't know what time he'd be home that day. I couldn't get a hold of him. I'm in Florida, so none of my friends are there. And so I crawled on my knees to her room and I woke her up and I said, Eden, if mommy looks like she can't wake up, like go door to door knocking because and tell them your mom needs help. And she's like, she kind of looked at me like, Okay, okay, mommy, you'll be okay. And like it was just so amazing that she had that piece and knew I'd be okay, but I did not. I thought that was it. I crawled back. I took a handful of vitamins because when you're anorexic, you still don't, you cannot eat by yourself. Like I, my husband wasn't there. She was asleep. I couldn't do it. I didn't want to feel the guilt or the shame. So I took a handful of vitamins, which made me feel worse, but I thought maybe it will keep me alive till Justin got home. And, um, he got home later that day and, um, found me still in bed and normally by two o'clock in the day I've had like three workouts three showers decorated the house for some holiday and like made dinner with like name cards like I'm kind of crazy like that and he walked in and saw me in bed in my pajamas like literally looking like a skeleton and he just walked in and he knew and I was sobbing and I said, why didn't you help me? Like, I've had a problem. Why didn't you help me this whole time? Like, and he knew that if he would have tried to be the one to help me, I would have been defensive and just said, I don't have a problem. And I feel great. I run marathons and do 104 mile bike rides. Like, cause I really did. And I felt fine until I did this too long to my body and I, it was enough. And so he walked in and I said, um, why didn't you help me? And he said, Well, at 6.15 this morning, I turned down the music in the car and just prayed to God to save you. And I said, what time? And he said, 6.15. And I was like, that's the exact time I woke up and looked at my phone. And I played the song by Hillsong called Touch the Sky. Because I thought, if I'm going to die, I want to die to this song. And the words were so real to me. And I couldn't believe that it was at this same moment at 6.15 that he Turned the music down and he doesn't make stuff up. Like I might exaggerate a story. He doesn't. And he was like, it's 6.15 and I was begging God to save you because I was not gonna, I didn't know what to do with you. I mean, our marriage was not going well. I was just, I was a monster of a mom, a monster of a wife. Um, My three kids are my wife, but they're all fertility kids because I haven't had a period because I have no fat to have a period. Like I've literally messed myself up, but I chose Six years of injections and $12,000 later, and I have three beautiful, perfect children. God's made me figure this out. He's wrestled with me. And um, through all these things, I now see him where he was. He was setting me up. He was setting me up because I needed him. I needed to fulfill my life with him and his truth and his word and not the lies that society tries to tell women that we're supposed to be.
0: Share, share the words of that song with us, barrel.
1: The words of the song. Um, I turned this on because I had nothing else. I did not know what to do. My my father just died of cancer in February, and so that really downhill spiraled my whole um, struggle with anorexia. But so this morning he had died. I didn't. I wanted to call him because he used to always answer, but I couldn't. So I just turned on the song um, "Touch the Sky" by Hillsong, and it says, "I got so high to fall so far." but i found heaven as love swept low my heart beating my soul breathing i found my life when i laid it down upward falling spirit soaring i touched the sky when my knees hit the ground what treasure waits within your scars this gift of freedom gold can't buy i bought the world and sold my heart you traded heaven to have me again Bind me here at your feet again everything i am reaching out i surrender Come sweep me up in your love again, and my soul will dance on the wings of forever. And that song has just been huge to me in this journey. It's definitely not over, and the credits are not rolling, and I am far from perfect. It's daily surrendering. It's weekly counseling, weekly outposts, weekly huddles, like weekly amazing people that I've met at this church that has totally poured into my life to help me be healed.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't get get much realer than that, right? Where it's like, this may be it. <laughs> and, you know, you kind of recapped your story, but, you know, it's it's those moments in life, right? Like, I know for you, for having, you know, last year in the summer, you know, I mean, for Justin to get injured and all the life of Major League Baseball and everything that was what you were and identity is 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 ripped away. Then having your father pass, like, all these things i think we look back and we find ourselves in the struggle in life we like i always say that there's certain things that we would never order off the menu of life again right you're never going to go in and say well here's come 2017 what would i like to happen you know i'll order you know my father dying how about a major job crisis for my family and then how about i almost die from anorexia like you're never going to order that one off the menu again right but it's in the midst of the most real struggle of your life that God shows up. And I know you're going to share some more of the story that it's just amazing to me and the, the things you're going to share right now that that when you were able to really get real with your place of brokenness and your need, how often God showed up in just crazy ways. And so, for I me, mean, from this song to the Africa, you're going to share. So just share about how God was so present in the midst of this struggle.
1: Yeah. Um, so throughout my life, I've had this huge calling for, um, kids in Africa. I can't even say it without crying cause I love them so much, but I've just had this huge heart for the poor and the needy and the hungry. And, um, so I go to Africa about twice a year and in the past, I've always gone with my husband and, um, sorry, I love that picture. But, um, so we go and we feed the kids in the slums that have nothing and their moms fill them up with water, with dirt to make them full. Like, t- so the kid can feel full. Like it's just, it's just really, really sad. So, I've always wondered why do I struggle with this problem when these kids would give anything to eat what I just shoved down and threw up? Like, they would give anything to have a hamburger, and I choose to say, I'm not hungry. Like, I didn't get why this was happening to me when I had this huge heart to fix this problem, but then I come back to the States and I can't, I can't, like, avoid the problem. I never understood that, but what I have learned is that. That was a distraction from Satan to steal my true calling. So this has always been my calling, and now I'm just unhinged to do whatever I want. So this with Africa, so this past July I went, I was free from this problem. and I was all in and it was the most amazing trip. And one of the realness, the real signs of the Lord was um, one of my one of the girls, I, I invited wives. I decided I didn't need my husband home to go with me. So I decided to invite some of the baseball wives while he was still playing. So for the past two seasons or two years, I've taken other wives to kind of show them like we are in a different world where we are at and like we can just give us some of our money and we can help in like crazy ways. And um, so a lot of them came this time and one of the girls, we didn't even really, I didn't actually even want to go this year because i was satan was trying to get in my head that my husband isn't even in the major leagues this year because he had surgery but now i realize god was pursuing my heart by taking him out of the game like he wanted my voice he wanted my relying on him he didn't i mean justin might play again but he needed to be home with me when my dad was dying like i needed my husband and so um god definitely i see him all over like he is real and there's signs all over my life that he was there when I was like, where are you, God? Like, why would you take my dad? Why would you take Justin out of baseball? He's the one good Christian man there is in baseball. Like, it's a very dark world. And um, what I've learned is God wanted my heart. He's relentless. And He he's chasing me. And I give up. Like, I... I am really excited to see what he's going to do with me, but um, I wanted to tell you one little story in Africa. This, one of the wives was sitting outside. we went on a safari at the end of the trip to kind of decompress, and we were sitting out on chairs and just looking at land. And um, this, this girl, she said I, she was crying, and I said, "What you know what's going on?" And she said, "Well, it was a year ago, a year ago to this day, that my best friend died in her sleep of bulimia." She said this out of nowhere. Like, I she didn't know me. I didn't know her. She doesn't know my story. I still didn't even tell her, but I just started weeping. And I was like, You are so good to me. Like, why are you so real? And you're giving this story and this new friend and that girl saved my life. Cause I stopped doing that after that. Cause I was like, I am gonna die. I almost did. Like, this is like what could happen if I keep believing the lies. And so it's just fun how God really does show up in real ways when you become real with him.
0: Tell us a story about when you were here and and the, when that phrase don't waste the struggle became super real in your life.
1: Yeah, so when I was having that morning where I was literally dying, I was praying and begging God to give me another chance and I I never hear the like God's voice ever. Like I just am not one of those people that can hear it, but I physically, seriously heard him say, don't waste the struggle. Like, if I give you another chance, don't waste the struggle. And I was kind of like, what does that even mean? A week later, I come back to Mercy Road at church, and my new friend Teresa—I just learned her name because she's in my huddle that I just got invited to by Josh, which I can't even handle like the cherry on the top of the story because God will not stop like pursuing me. Like I didn't even want to be in a huddle; I kind of thought they were weird, and I was like, I don't have a babysitter, like, but who has anything at seven in the morning? Like, no, my husband's home now. Um, I had to go, but anyway, I'm just like, God is so good. But the lady is in my huddle, and her name's Teresa, and she shared about depression that morning that I came back from Florida and she said in her testimony she said don't waste the struggle and when she said that I just was like oh my word like god you are so good I needed that sign and um I prayed like I really wanted to go in the prayer room and I was just like praying for like maybe just maybe one more sign or like just some courage to go over there and the song touched the sky was the the next song, and Becca sang it, and I just sobbed, because God is so real, and there's there's so many lies you can believe, or you can choose to live for God, because He is real, and He's shown up. I've seen my past. It's a mess, and but He doesn't care. He sees me perfect and blameless, and I have no shame now.
0: And I think it's it's crazy to watch those things, and I think sometimes we miss the way that God is showing up in our life, right? And, and it would have been easy for you, Meryl, to be like, well, that's just a coincidence. You know what I mean? We, I think... We can explain away God's presence in our life by saying it's a coincidence all the time we want. But to see that that moment was you are getting, you know, able to embrace the realness of, of the struggle of your life to see that, that you no know, he is showing up in words and phrases in scriptures and songs to, to continue to, to invite you into that process. And so you, know, you being here today and being, you know, courageous and real enough to, to open your life to this story, it's a process of you not wasting the struggle, right? But, but it's still a struggle. Right. And so that's something that that I want you to kind of share about that. It's not, you know, so often I think sometimes we think, well, if we get to a place of brokenness or whatever, like we just pray really hard and then some magic will happen and poof, it'll be fixed. Right. But since May, it's not been like you've just been hoping this gets better. Right. Like you're not wasting the struggle, but you're still in a struggle. And to talk about some of the, the, the process of, of what you're actually doing, because the struggle's real, right? It's happening every day, so talk about that.
1: It's, it's real. Um, I mean, every week now, I see a counselor, I see a dietitian. I have osteoporosis, so I'm 30, but I have like 80-year-old bones. Like I've just really had to have a lot of health help with this, but I truly see God even putting, even in who he chooses as my counselor, she's Luke, the youth pastor's wife. I didn't know that going into it. I mean, how much more real can you get? I'm sitting there with counsel, like in my counseling sessions, and I was talking about Mercy Road, and she's like, Where do you go to church? And I said, Mercy Road. And she's like, My husband's the youth pastor there. Like, I mean, really, like, I just was like, Okay, this is getting a little too real. Like, (laughs) wow. Um, But yeah, it's a daily. It's a daily surrendering. I mean, I have to. I, I want to read. No, I want to read the Bible now. Like I never used to. I'll be honest. Like it, I just kind of didn't understand it. But now I can't wait to wake up every morning and fill myself up with truth because that truth is the stuff that helps me. And my one of my favorite verses is Meryl. Be, well, I put my name in it. It says, "Meryl, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes." Ephesians six ten through eleven. Uh, The devil is real, as real as God is real, and he will lie to you. So I just want to encourage you with that. Like, choose God and choose His truth. He's the one constant we'll have. Like, our our ten million dollar contracts, our private jets—those days are gone, and that was never fulfilling, anyways. I would much rather be sitting here at God's knees and be and just saying, "I'm done. Like, I'm done caring what people think. I don't seek man's approval. I only seek yours." And once you can let that go, it's been the most freeing journey ever. And I'm only four months in, but I just, I, I just, three months ago, you couldn't have paid me enough to get up here. And <laughs> then I sent an email to Josh begging to like share with you. I've never even shared this with anyone, only my best friend and, um, my husband know. So, I mean, this is being vulnerable, but I love this church. I love how real people are. And I, I love where I'm at right now in my journey.
0: I love it. I love it. You know what? Let's celebrate that real quick. Can we do that? <laughs> You know, it makes me think about um, in James six. It says this, and and I really dislike this scripture. It's not a it's not a good one, right? Emotionally, but it says this: make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you can live together whole and healed. And that's not real popular because it takes a lot of vulnerability and humility. Um. But I'm so proud of Meryl and, and just so, um, what I love about this church is for, you know, for Pastor Josh and for the staff and for Meryl to take the risk to say, hey, listen, like this isn't like, like Meryl said before, like the credits aren't rolling, right? This isn't a story that happened in 1990, like, right? Like this is happening right now. Like Meryl is wrestling with God and he's saying, that's my girl. And she's able to come here and say, hey, guess what? Let me confess my sins and struggles and wrestling to you so you can pray for me and I can pray for you. And if this can become a, a, a community where people are living together whole and healed, this world that is fragmented and broken and hurting could find a place where they say, I know God is real because I've seen him in the midst of your struggle, right? I mean, if there's anything you want just to close out to share with anybody, maybe, maybe it's not you know an eating situation, maybe it's something else, but they're in a struggle. What was something you would just give them to encourage them today?
1: Um, I would just tell you that God is the only constant, the only perfect one, and people will fail us. and. Money will fail us. People, like, you will never have a true happiness if it's just based on your circumstances. You have to have, like, an everlasting joy, and that has been the best feeling, and I've never had it till I'm 31. I'm almost, I always say I'm 31, but I'm 30, but I'm gonna be 31. Um, But I just, I'm just so glad that God has saved me now. I mean, I've always believed, but not really believed, like, not really had, like, a relationship, and um, I just am so thankful that I am only 30, and I still have A lot of time left to well, hopefully to you know use my voice. Um, I just wanted to read my one of my other verses that's really good for me. It says, "Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be bright as noon." Isaiah fifty eight ten. So when I can think about like the the eternal perspective of things, it makes food and like working out and Like eating jello, like that is just so distracting and dumb and lies. And when I can just think about like the eternal glory and being in heaven with our Father and looking at those kids in Africa and their faces and knowing that we did our part to make a difference or whatever that calling is for you, when you're unhinged and when your chains are gone and you're free, you can be free to hear what God's calling is for your life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's celebrate that one more time, guys. Come on. Let's pray, Jesus. Thank you so much for today. Thank you for being real. And um, God, it's, it makes us uneasy, I think, sometimes to realize that um, that maybe to really experience you, um, we need to allow ourselves to be humble enough to be real about where we really need you in our life. And so, um, Father, every single person in this room today as somewhere where they're believing uh, lies from the enemy. Someone in their life that they're not um, submitting to you, a place where they're maybe unwilling to wrestle. And I pray that today would be a day of realness, a day of struggle, a day of beginning the process to really lean in and to grab a hold of you and say, I'm not letting go until you bless me. Father, you are a God of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So I pray for all the Jacobs all the deceivers, all the strugglers here today, that they would know that you are their father, that you are proud of them, that there is no shame in the struggle, but there is power and there is your presence and there's freedom. Thank you for being that kind of God. We love you. You're the best. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.